Well, good morning, church. I don't know if it's just me, but it just sounded like you were worshiping and praising God a little louder, and I'm hoping it's not because the kids went back to school, okay? Uh, I hope uh, that you are entering this place and uh, that you are expecting to hear from God. I believe wherever you're at in life, whatever season you are in, as you enter here, that God wants to speak to you, that he wants to reveal himself to you, he wants to challenge you, he wants to raise you up to be everything he desires you to be. And I believe that can happen in these moments together, and so my prayer is is that the Holy Spirit would move um, as we enter this time of opening God's word. We are going to jump back into this subject of community. Uh, Pastor Rob started last week, and I'm going to do part two here on community. And so as a refresher, I just want to talk a little bit about what Pastor Rob led us to last week. He was talking about an issue that we have, this issue of self-deceit, And in order to overcome self-deceit, we need community. That we desperately need other people around us. But that often we choose to hide our lives from other people. That we want to keep things from other people. And so we don't put it all out there. But he said this, that you can't really know yourself by yourself. And so we need others, not just for the seasons of life, but also to become everything that God wants us to be. You can't do it on your own. So this morning, I want to jump a little further into the subject of Christian community. And my prayer is, is that the Holy Spirit would break down whatever walls you have up in your life right now that is keeping you from jumping into exactly what God wants you to be a part of in community. Uh, My hope is, is that you would end up seeing some actions that you have to take out of this time and that you would start applying God's word to your life. And so with that, I want to invite you to take your copy of the scriptures and I want you to open it to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Ecclesiastes is right after the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. And if you have a tablet or a phone, get your app open and go to Ecclesiastes 4. Now, I don't know about you, but I feel like we are living in one of the most amazing times in history. And the reason I think that is because I love technology. I think we're living in one of the most incredible technological times we have ever seen. And it just keeps developing. Many of us, we have computers or we have a smartphone, and so very quickly we can gather all sorts of information just at the touch of our fingertip. And we can, we can gather all these things. For some of you this morning, you just very easily pulled out some device and you touched on a Bible app, and you have the entire, entire compilation of God's Word on your phone. It's absolutely amazing. 
And while you were doing that, for some of you, you probably got a text message at the same time, so don't answer that right now. Now with that, whenever we start looking at this, we have developed more opportunities for communication than what we've ever had before. On our phone, not only can we write things to people or have an audio call with people, but now we can video chat with people, with our family and friends, and we can see their face, and we can take all of that in. And to me, it's absolutely brilliant and amazing. Then there's others of you that are probably in this room that are going, I hate technology. I hate everything this is about. I can't believe he's even saying it's brilliant. So I'm going to email him right now. And guess what? I don't have my phone, so I'm not going to get that email right now. But when we look at this, we have all these things that are happening among us, and we are in the midst of this ever-growing connective age, and yet in the middle of it, we still have a problem that has been with us from the beginning of time. And it's the problem of being alone. It's the problem of being alone. See, you might be coming in this morning and you actually feel lonely. Or possibly you're sitting here and you're not feeling that right now, but the, the problem of being alone is going to hit all of us at some point. And it impacts the mission of God's church. It impacts it. A recent study from Duke University and the U.S. Census Bureau says that our society is in the midst of a progressive slide towards disconnection in the middle of the connection age. So we're sliding this way. More people say they feel alone than any other time in history. It's absolutely amazing. 25% of the people that they studied say they have no one they can turn to as a confidant. 25%. More people link their depression to being alone or aloneness. And what is even more stunning in this study is that the number of socially isolated Americans has doubled since 1985. And we didn't have smartphones then. More than doubled. This impacts the local church. It impacts our mission. And it's why Dustin Willis in his book, Life and Community, says this. Despite our inherent longing, many of us feel that sense of belonging is somehow unattainable. We desire it, but we resist it at the same time. We fear being transparent with others. What if we get hurt, rejected, Betrayed, ignored, or neglected. So we have this desire to belong, and yet we also push it away because of the fears that are in our life. We also have this other aspect that many of us would say we have community. And I want to also ask you, though, is, is it truly the type of community that God desires his people to have? See, we can fall into the trap that we have many friends on our social networks, and because of that, we feel like we have community. And since we have a culture that lives that way, it can seep into our church, and we get lured into thinking that because we know names of people or because we can smile at people on a Sunday morning, 
because we can wave that we have community. That we think that meeting together and sitting in a row once a week that we have community. And I would argue that if you looked in Acts 2, you would see that the early church wasn't about just sitting in a row. The early church was about digging into lives. And because they dug into each other's life, those that were outside the community of believers were drawn to them, and they were drawn to Christ. They were drawn because of the relationships in the community that the church had. So in this, I want you to understand that our discipleship can't happen without intentional gospel community. Our discipleship can't happen without intentional gospel community. So we have this issue that we're possibly moving towards being alone, or maybe we are alone right now, or we haven't taken the steps towards the type of community that God has called us to, And we have to look at it and say, what is it that we are supposed to do? And I think we find some answers in the book of Ecclesiastes. So in Ecclesiastes 4, starting in verse 7, let's see what God's word says. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Two are better than one, because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So the author starts this by saying that there is something that is meaningless. And what is meaningless is a man alone. A man totally alone. Which means that a meaningless life is a life of aloneness. If you are somebody that says, well, I like being alone. I just want to be alone and away from everybody. You cannot gain meaning by doing that. We have to be around other people. So what is aloneness when we look at Ecclesiastes 4? Well, it simply can be the life that doesn't have relationships or the life that works to shut everything and everyone else out. But what I want you to see here and what you should notice is that this aloneness is very much a choice. This man is making a choice here for him to be alone. And what he is choosing is to not risk life with others. I say risk because our relationships are hard. It's often said that the church would be this amazing place if it weren't for the people. I mean... When you, when you get down to it, relationships are tough. We have a hard time with one another sometimes. You know, I mean, we just, we get into it on really stupid things. And so relationships are tough. And so because of that, we often don't risk. And what this man is choosing is that he is choosing not to risk life with others. So he's working very hard. And what we find is that he 
because of working very hard, he's becoming very wealthy. What's interesting is that when we say that, if we look at our own culture, we're going to find that we hold those in great, great leadership because they've worked hard and they put in all these hours and they're gaining success and they're climbing the corporate ladder and they're gaining wealth. And we look at it and we say, that's success. That's successful. And when we look at this, we have to be blown away that this text was written in 935 B.C. and the culture we find there is repeating itself today. That we say this is what definition of success in our culture is. And because of that, it lures us in. And so we have this inner struggle. And for some of us, we've walked in here this morning, and this is the first time we've sat with a friend or with family members because we have been working so hard to gain that success. And we can easily drift that direction. We can just float that direction. And when we come into a Sunday morning, we can get into our row, and the drifting does not reveal itself in the row. We can face forward, and we can see everybody in front of us, and we can look towards the front. But it isn't until we start looking at one another in the eye and we move from a road to be having this community with people that we can address these deep spiritual issues in our life. And so you might be pursuing that. See, this text talks about this workaholic man who's gaining all of this. He's probably someone who has jumped over other people just to make another buck and to gain this wealth. And he is revealing that we live in a world of selfish individuality. We pursue that. And that can take place in other ways. You might be going, well, I don't have that in my life. But every week we do something here. We remind you at the end of our services that you are sent. That you are sent out of this building to be a person who is going to proclaim the gospel wherever you go. And so for many of us, we take that charge seriously. And so we go out and we fill our lives and our schedule in the name of the gospel that we are sent. And when we start doing that and go, this is what I'm going to do and this is what's going to take place, we start filling our schedule so that we don't leave any room for people to speak into our lives to grow as a disciple because we think we're supposed to do it all out there. And when that happens, we have to understand that people that are sent need others around them to speak the gospel into their life. We all need it. So even good things can, can capture our attention. And here's the deal. I want to be honest with you this morning that there are some weeks that I do that very thing, that I just, I pursue that, or some Sundays that that's what I'm feeling, and I go after that, and I can put on the good and the well, and I can put it on my face, and I can enter this building, and I can sit in my row, and none of you would ever know what's going on within. In fact, I think some of us are possibly doing that today. 
But when that happens, I have a group of people in my life. This is my life group. And I have this group of people that whenever, and some of them are sitting in this room right now, so I don't want to say some things because they're going to hold me to it. But when we get together, if I try to put on the mask, they are going to quickly pull it off. They're going to dig in to, to who I am and what's going on in my life, and I'm going to do it with them. And we've given each other permission to speak those things in. And so when we look at this, it's these times where we have to say, i got to remove the mask. i got to allow people to dig into me and I and them and move forward in what God wants to do in my life. See, we can get lost in these pursuits, in these idols that we have, these, this job success or filling our schedule for the kids and all the opportunities they have. And some of these things are really good. But when we have these idols, they suck out this perspective on the beauty of God's grace. And when that happens, we have to have people come around us because when we miss out on the opportunities of hearing God's grace, we never become the disciple that we are called to be. See, our discipleship can't happen without intentional gospel community. And the reason I say intentional is because it's going to take work. It's going to mean you have to change things in your life but you will never become the disciple that you were called to be without it. See, when I truly think on this, I got to ask myself whenever I look at Ecclesiastes 4, why is it that the, the man that we find in Ecclesiastes 4, why does he tend to reveal himself in my life so much? And I think we find the answer to that in verse 8. Look at what verse 8 says. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes we're not content with his wealth. See, there is not a work problem here. There's not a problem with coworkers. In fact, I don't even know that there is a wealth problem here. The problem that we find is that there is an identity problem. This man has an identity issue. And so when our identity is in the pursuit of these other things that come in, that fall into the categories of idols... We tend to know that they're idols, but we don't want anyone else to know about them. And so those fears come in because if people saw that, what would they really think? Would I really be accepted? And so we hide them and we shy away. And so we allow the fears of our identity to keep us from true community. Here's the deal. I know that the group of people in my life that I get uh, to spend time with, that we dig into each other, I got to admit to you that I am scared to be with them sometimes. In fact, this, this last, uh, right before summer, we were together. And when we look at the struggles going on and, and looking at pursuing what the transformation of Christ really should be in our life, it means that there's a couple things that have to take place. In fact, the scriptures say that we are to confess our sins to one another. But when we gather together, most often uh, the times that we're together, we never want to journey to that place. 
We don't want to journey towards confessing our sins to each other. So we decided that we would spend some time as a group, that we would confess our sins to one another. So the, the ladies went one place and the guys went another place. And as I was entering that time, I got to admit, I hated it. I hated it. And the reason is because during those fears of acceptance and the identity issues is when the lies tend to speak to us. So this is what was going through my head. And I, I'm not making this up. I was going in. These are people that I love. And I was going, you know, I want them to confess because it's going to be really good for them. Fine if I don't. Because what if I confess something that shouldn't be associated with someone that has the title pastor? What are they going to think of me? Or what if they think, boy, he shouldn't be a pastor anymore confessing this. You know, we we need to do something about this. And so all these lies started speaking to me. And what happened in those moments was that we spent time and we confessed and I confessed. But we would pray over one another. And we would spend that time just diving in. Praying through the struggle that each person had. And you can't do that on your own. The reason I know that is because in the book of Genesis, at the very beginning of the Bible, in Genesis 1, we see God creates the whole earth and he says, this is good, this is good. And then in Genesis 2, 18, he ends up saying, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good because man is going to need others around him. That's going to battle the lies that I was facing in my mind. See, our discipleship can't happen without intentional gospel community. It just can't. God designed you and I to be in that type of community. We need outside voices to speak in, and the very place that we should find that is the church. This should be the place It should also be the place that we understand something else because all of us come in with these lies and we're afraid. And what I need to, the news that I need to break to you in case you didn't know it, is that we are all a mess. We're all a mess. We are all sinful. And because we're all a mess, it means that we're on level playing fields. So that when we confess, it means that the person we're confessing to also has the mess in their life. We dig into that together. No one in here is above the other because we are all in need of God's grace. Now here's the deal. For some of us, I think that we can get to a place in our life when we go, you know what, I've hit it. I don't need to change anything. I got to tell you that you are not complete. God's not done with you yet. Last Saturday, I was in Pennsylvania at my grandmother's funeral. And as I was at the funeral, I was realizing that my 97-year-old grandmother 
who loved Jesus was not complete. God wasn't done with her yet. Even to her last breath, she still had the ability to be transformed by God. So if you're at a spot where you're thinking you're done, you're not. So because of that, we need other people to come around us. So what does Ecclesiastes say? What is the alternative? Well, look at verse 9. Verse 9 says, says it pretty clear. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. So you got to look at the context and remember what's happening. This is in regard to a workaholic man, an alone man. And it's basically saying it's better to be part of a team and to, to operate that way. But let me also remind you of your role. See, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, your role in life is that you are a laborer for the kingdom of God. You're a laborer. And so this is a reminder to us. This is something that a better return on the gospel is when people go out together and reveal the gospel to others. That it can be done through our relationships, not on our own. That's why Jesus, whenever he had his disciples and he sent them out, he didn't say, hey, just go one at a time. He said, go by two. Two of you go to this place. Two of you go to this place. It was to have someone alongside. See, the gospel will advance in a selfish, individualized world when his people come together in true gospel community and dig in and say, what does God want to do with us? What does he want to transform in us so that we can become the disciples that we are to be? So, why do we need others? Because i got to admit, there's times when I would just rather do it on my own. But why do we need others? Well, the writer of Ecclesiastes 4 points out why. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, it talks about that you will fall. That you will fall. So there's these times of weakness that we all have in our lives. Now, the context of this has to do with the ancient Near East when there's a journey. And then with these long journeys that people would take, it's not like they had cars or highways or lighted walkways or anything like that. They were walking in incredibly hard places. They didn't have flashlights. And so they would journey, and all they had was dirt, darkness, cold, and hard terrain. And so when we look at that, in those types of environments, we have to understand that we are going to have times of weakness. Our life is going to reveal the places of weakness. So in this hard terrain that life sometimes feels like, you're going to stumble. And notice what the writer says. It says that when one person falls down, there's another one to pick them up. Here's the deal. It does not say that you journey alone, and when that person falls down, you say, man, you are making this trip a lot longer than it needs to be. You're kind of clumsy, aren't you? No, it just says, pulls them up. And throughout life, you are going to have times of weakness. 
Life is going to hit you. And in those times, you need people to come around you and lead you back to where strength comes from. To remind you where that's at. That God is present and God has made promises and he intends to keep his promises. To pull you back up. So you either are the person that is weak right now or you are the person that needs to do the pulling up. And because of that, you need to be in community. Now the writer goes on in verse 11, says this, life will be cold. These are these times of uncertainty. Often on these ancient journeys that these people would take, they wouldn't be able to get to their place and, in one day. And so they would be walking and they would have to sleep outside under the elements. And so what they would do is they would gather together and they would sleep next to each other so their body heat would join together and keep each other warm. This isn't some like, uh, you know, romantic relationship that we're talking about here. This is to survive. To survive the elements that are, that are happening all around them. And that cold, it brings these times of uncertainty. I mean, I've experienced these uncertainties in my life, and I've been the person that has said, why is God doing this? I've used the phrase, I didn't ask for this. Why is this happening? And it's during those times of uncertainty that we need people to come around us and to bring the warmth of the gospel and to remind us of who Jesus is. I was talking to a couple recently who have gone through some of the most uncertain circumstances ever. And as I was talking to them, they they were sharing all the hard things, the the things that life just is going to pound out of you. And as they were talking, they said the thing that kept encouraging them was the group of people that kept bringing them back to who Christ is, what Christ has done, and how Christ wants to lead them through these times. So folks, you're gonna, you are going to have times of uncertainty. Or you might know someone who's going through that. And you need to bring the warmth of the gospel around them. The writer goes on, look at verse 12. And in verse 12, it basically says you will be attacked. So there are going to be times of opposition. There's going to be these times. We get attacked in a variety of ways. All of us have these things that come in. And when this comes, we need to see the opposition for what it is and not listen to the lies that are in our mind. And so we need people to come around us and to to capture those fears and to lead us to what God is asking of us in this situation. We also need people to come around us to protect us. I love it when we see groups of people that see opposition that is coming, but they will jump into that struggle with their friends and walk through it. Here's the deal. You don't get those three things by coming in for an hour a week. Just don't. Now, I'm not saying that you shouldn't come on Sunday mornings. But if we think that the good thing to do is to come on Sunday morning and that's it, 
and not jump in because of these other things, then we're missing out on the mission that God has called us to. See, when, when these things are happening, we have to understand that the, the nice greetings here are good. The smiles are good. But we have to take time. We have to make time. We have to give energy. We have to have this determination, this effort to get into this type of community. It's making a choice that the man in Ecclesiastes 4 didn't make. And so it might mean cutting some things out and, and joining into community. There's a, a friend of mine here on staff, and no way am I ever going to say that he is brilliant. But Kyle Reschke uh, has some wisdom in him, and he has made this comment. Community is a byproduct of a people on mission. The byproduct of people on mission. See, if we're going to truly pursue the mission that God's given us, that we're going to see more and more people love God, grow together, and reach the world. That as that comes, we have to build community where we are constantly speaking in and caring and, and getting into the depths of life with one another. And there's probably ways to do that. For some of you, you've, I've already heard there's conversations that, well, I meant to sign up for Rooted. Hey, we want you to get into a group. And you need to take that step because this is what God is calling us to. We don't want you to miss out on that. But what we have to understand is that if we let community go, we can't be on mission. Get others around us. So how do sinful human beings that are separated from God and from one another how in the world do we get those right relationships back? Well, you don't. Jesus does. See, Jesus left heaven, came to earth as the Son of God to bring about an incredible work on the cross. His death would do unbelievable things. And the crazy thing about that is that Jesus came and he suffered, he died to renew certain relationships, relationships with God the Father and with one another. But when he did it, he did it alone. And the reason he did it alone is because he came to defeat that. So when you are jumping into community with others, it's a reflection of the work of the cross. It's a reflection of the gospel. It's saying that God defeated aloneness and I am jumping into this because this is what God wants for us. His work on the cross brings about the eternal relationship with God the Father and brings about the right relationship with one another so that we can be part of a kingdom expanding. Our discipleship 
can't happen without intentional gospel community. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you have brought about relationships here. And for some of us, we have to seek out some relationships today so that we can become everything you desire for us. I ask that you would put in our mind that the discipleship that you want to do in us is the most important thing. And that we would run away or that we would have people around us that would help us flee the idols that are in our life. So that we would reflect you and that we would reflect the the early church in Acts. And because of the relationships we have, more and more people would be drawn to you. Do an amazing work here. Continue to guide. 